1: Right now and fast, another sea of red on Wall Street. Major indices all dropping more than a percent, with the Nasdaq leading the losses. The index on pace for its worst December ever. So is there more pain to come in the new year? Plus, TikTok's on the clock, but even the latest roadblock for the video sharing app isn't enough to give Meta a boost. So has the once unstoppable stock finally lost its Teflon shine? And later, so bad, it's? in the blank. We're back with another round of your newest favorite game. <laughs> the traders have brought their picks for next year, and the chart master is here to give them his grades. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ MarketSite in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Guy Dami, Dan Nathan, Steve Grasso, and Carter Worth. The latter two will join us later. We start off two and a half years of gains gone, vanished, kaput. The Nasdaq breaking through its lows of the year, posting its worst close since July 2020. It is just 4% away from its pre-pandemic record. And it's no surprise that the biggest hits have come to the biggest stocks. Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, losing trillions of dollars in market cap combined this year. So with just a few trading days left in the year, are we in for even more losses? What does this tell you, Guy, this willingness to drift lower into the end of the year?
2: Hi Melms. Well, it's interesting. You know, somebody put on Twitter maybe this is the Santa Claus rally, and maybe things would be worse if we we're in a Without different part. It's interesting. Food for food for thought, right now. But what does it say? It says, listen, fundamentals do matter. Uh, that whole mantra, as David Tepper pointed out last week, don't fight the Federal Reserve matters. And you know what else matters? Earnings and valuations in this environment. I think that's what the market is trying to figure out. And I'm glad you mentioned that Nasdaq level. One that Dan's brought up a number of times, I think it's 9,800-ish, where we broke down from in February of 2020, obviously, when COVID hit. And by golly, it sure looks like there's a bullseye right on that level.
1: Wow, you think we go to not, I mean, Dan, you still think that level is the level to watch? That's what, 400 points from where we are now-ish?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, Mel, that there's a really good chance that the S&P and the NASDAQ retrace those entire moves back to its pre-pandemic levels. the highs in February 2020, and Guy just mentioned the level there. I think the fact that the NASDAQ 100 made a new 52-week low today, which is, you know, I I guess we saw this massive rotation from mid-October to value and some bit more defensive sort of names and out of some of the higher valuation um, sort of stocks. And I I think it's really interesting that it also happens to coincide with the move that we had in yields, right? So we saw the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield about a month and a half ago top out, and that gave a little air, I think, to some of those um, sorts of of tech names that have been beaten up so badly. And you got to go back an entire year, right, when the Fed pivoted and said that they were going to start raising rates aggressively to battle inflation. That was kind of the last I don't know, that was the last call for, for a lot of these high-valuation tech stocks that were going to see deceleration in a lot of their growth metrics that had been pulled forward in the back half of 2020 and all of 2021. So it feels like it's kind of a, a bookend to this period that we've been in over the last three years now, Mel.
1: I mean, it feels like rates are on a trajectory higher with uh, you know Japan now throwing in The towel, we've gone up 40 basis points in just the past three weeks or so, Guy. So that, of course, is the headwind for tech stocks that Dan was talking about. But then you also have layered on the reopening of China. And everybody thought the reopening of China would be a great thing, not thinking that China was going to rip the Band-Aid off and spread COVID all over the country in a rampant fashion (laughs) um, in a way that puts supply chains, puts factory production at risk once again.
2: I heard you posit that this morning at approximately, I think, 7.15 during your wonderful uh, three-hour performance on Squawkbox. And that's exactly right. I mean, think about what will that do to the inflation problems. And again, rates going higher in this environment should theoretically mean the economy is getting better. It does not mean that at all. So you, know, you have rates going higher. Once again, volatility in the bond market seems to be back. Not particularly healthy environment, in my opinion. And I'll just sort of layer this on to Dan's point. You know, you look at names like NVIDIA, which traded down to 108, I believe, on October 21st. I'm probably off by a couple of days. Subsequently rallied in a month and a half over 70%. And now it's given back effectively half that move. I mean, think about a volatile name like that. And that's so interest rate and market sensitive. That's the environment that we find ourselves in. So rates going higher, again, my opinion, in this environment is not any sign of growing growth. It's a sign of continued concern on the inflation front.
1: Yeah, here are a couple of stocks. and We're going to talk about these two stocks a little bit later on in the show, but two stocks to sort of fall into this crosshairs of higher interest rates, not good. China, potential more lockdowns, not good either. Tesla, as well as Apple. Apple in today's session was down another couple of percent, Dan.
3: Mm Yeah, I, I mean, this one, it felt like, Mal, the relative outperformance that we had seen of late versus many of its mega cap tech peers, it seems like there was a lot of investors just hiding out. It was kind of an easy name to do that. It wasn't easy on valuation. It wasn't easy on the supply chain issues or the Chinese demand issues or the European demand issues. But I think that a lot of investors have just gotten really comfortable with hiding out in that name. And it's weeks like this that reminds you that it's just another stock. I mean, Guy says this all of the time. And you know, we've been saying this about Tesla and about Apple, when you think about how reliant these two companies are on China for manufacturing, but there's also demand, and then you think of the supply chain implications in that, it's a really difficult cocktail uh, to swallow here, in my opinion. So if we're seeing wholesale selling in high valuation tech names, and make no mistake about it, Apple trading where it is, relative to its expected growth is a very expensive mega cap tech stock, then it makes sense to me that it's making new 52-week lows as the NASDAQ 100 is, especially considering, in fact, it's the largest stock in the NASDAQ 100. So to me, I, I just feel like that the risk now is also that the S&P 500 plays catch up to the NASDAQ 100 because the rotation that we've seen into value is not likely to play out particularly well in a rising rate environment when we actually, this goes back to that kind of theme that we've been talking a lot about this year, the potential for stagflation. And what does that mean? That means that valuations across the board are likely too high in this rate environment given the expected growth that we have in 2023. And the last point is that strategy who model earnings for these major indices have not taken down their estimates uh, low enough. And that's one of the reasons why we are going to see lower lows early next year in 2023.
1: Steve Grasso has finally joined the party. So Steve, what do you make of the sell today?
4: Yeah, I apologize. I didn't realize we started at five every night. Um, so the, I, I think just people are just selling off everything into, uh, I heard what Guy said, I heard what Dan said, I agree. I, it, it's just risk off. Into year end, no one wants to be, if there was a Santa Claus rally or a thought to be a Santa Claus rally, I thought we were going to rip higher into year end. That didn't happen. So when that doesn't happen, people just say, you know what? Let me lock in my losses. Let me look towards the next year. And when you start to hear Mike Wilson talk about an earnings recession or the fact that the market can drop another 10 or 15%, there's no one that's chomping at the bit to get involved in equities right now. So it, for, for me, it's sort of a wait and see. And, and I think we've all been sort of on the same page that we're going to see this sell-off uh, really gain steam in the first quarter. So what's the rush?
1: Um, can you believe in, Dan, a 9,800 level on the, on the NASDAQ, but still believe in a back half of the year Rip roaring rally, which I think is basically consensus on the street. Not necessarily the 9,800 part, but that the first half yeah. of the year will be tough, ch- you know, sledding, and then the back half is going to be, you know, coming up roses. Yeah, and
3: that makes me nervous, Mel. I mean, we've been talking about the potential for that. And really, because it coincides, if you think about late January, is going to be Q4 earnings, which is when a lot of companies are going to kind of offer their guidance for the full year, if they offer it at all. And that's the opportunity for a lot of strategists, I guess, to readjust their models and give some new estimates. So um, I, I guess the, the fact that it's becoming consensus, and it also happens to fall in and around the time where we're going to have our next Fed meeting on February 1st, um, that makes me a little nervous. If you think about about some of the big rallies that we've had Um, over the last year, the one that came in mid-June into mid-August, and then the one that we had from mid-October into just a few weeks ago, I mean, they've usually coincided with, you know, really poor sentiment and then expectations that the Fed is going to do something, and then when S&P earnings, for the most part, weren't as bad as people expected. So could that set up as the scenario into January? The lower we go right now is the higher that we rally into those events, Certainly that could happen, and that's been the pattern here. Um, But it's not something I think to Steve's point is like, listen, It's going to be a rocky year, and you know I think that this year um, is going to really remind us a bit more of 2002, which was basically the third year of a bear market, a very protracted bear market that started in the spring of 2000 that no one really wanted to believe for most of 2000. The unwind of the unusual fiscal and monetary stimulus that we've had over the last, let's call it two and a half years, is going to take longer than most people think that a normal recession should happen, and then also the stock market is just really not in a position, when you think about it, where rates are and what the Fed is likely to do to kind of combat this on the other end. I just think that stocks down, What was the S&P, down 20 and a half percent, just does not encapsulate what we're in for in the next six to nine months.
1: All right. The next six to nine months, um, the, the theory here on the desk is that analysts and, and strategists haven't taken down their their earnings estimates enough so far this year. How, how would you think about, Guy, China reopening, factoring into this? Is that a weight, or is that? I mean, is it a headwind or a tailwind?
2: Yeah, it's. I I think I could. And I'm not ducking your question, but I think depending on your dogma, you could answer it either either side. You could say it's extraordinarily bullish, or it makes the Fed's job that much more difficult, right? Because it'll add to the supply. It'll add to the demand part of the equation, which should make commodities go higher, which should make inflation uh, continue to be hot. So I don't know the answer. I'll say this, though. There is geopolitical risk out there that we talked about this time last year that seemingly is playing out again in the form of China-Taiwan, in the form of this unholy union, Mm. theoretically, between China and Russia. So some of those factors, which were a problem this time last year, are still a problem now. So I think the reopening of China will probably be mitigated by the fact that the rest of the world is slowing down in a meaningful fashion. And, by the way, the rest of the world seems hell-bent on raising rates and fighting the inflation that they longed for for so long.
1: China, Taiwan. See, Grassley, so you had an interesting theory yeah. yesterday, which I questioned you about. Um, but if you can just revisit that a little bit, because you think yeah, that China so, is so, going to invade. So,
4: I, well, I think that the chances are, are, have ro- uh, ro- rose. And I know that if my uh, friend Guy Dami was on last night, he's just as big as a conspiracy theorist as I am. So if China goes, lifts the zero COVID, they're more likely to invade, in my opinion. And I was trying to make that connection. And the connection is they want to be seen by the world as strong. If you have everyone locked down, you're not strong. So the fact that they're trying to rush this lifting of of zero COVID leads me to believe that they're going to inch closer to that invasion in 2023.
1: Well, a top economist is taking uh, on Wall Street pessimism. Mark Zandi is tweeting this week, I'm confused by the overwhelming consensus among economists that recession is all but inevitable. This view invariably rests in part on the yield curve inversion. Fair enough, it's a prescient recession indicator, predictor, I should say. But so too is the stock market, and it's not signaling recession. Mark joins us now. He's a chief economist at Moody's Analytics. Mark, good to have you with us. It, it is rare that we have an economist that says listen to the stock market and not the bond market. But you think that there are too many distortions in the bond market right now?
5: Yeah, I think the message is muddled from the bond market. And of course, we're talking about the yield curve, uh, long-term rates versus short-term rates. And uh, there's a number of uh, factors, I think, that are making it difficult to interpret. But uh, you know, the most obvious is the Fed's quantitative easing. I mean, just to give you a sense of that, the If you look at the balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet today, they they have uh, roughly $5 trillion of Treasury securities, mortgage-backed securities, with maturities of more than 10 years on the balance sheet. That's more than double what it was back just prior to the pandemic, a $2.5 trillion increase. So you do a little bit of arithmetic, you could pretty much explain away the inversion of the curve by that fact alone. But uh, yeah, I I, I just think the- uh, I, I would not rest- I would not be a slave to the yield curve, certainly not in the current environment, given all the distortions that are possible here.
2: Yeah, Mark, this is not meant to be glib in any way, but I think for 10 to 12% of our fellow citizens, they get insulted when they hear people like us talk about recessions, because for them, this is late 1920s, 1930s environment, without question. We don't talk about it, but it's out there, no doubt about it. So my, my question to you is, Let's just say, for sake of argument, we're in one or we're going into one. What changes? I mean, I think we all feel how things have slowed down. What does it matter if its definition is is met?
5: Well, I, I mean, I'm not sure what you're, uh, and I'm not trying to be glib either, but I don't understand what you're saying. I mean, the unemployment rate is 3.7 percent. Any, I mean, the number of unfilled right. job positions and, close there to repro- high, not, and, and there are people waiting. there are record and they're probably. Yeah. And there are probably
2: 12 million people in this country that are wondering where their next meal is going to come from, have to decide whether or not they're going to feed their kids, pay their bills, heat their homes. Um, So the the easy money for years that have left them in the dust is now leaving them in dust on the other way. So what my point is, you know, those people watch this and they say recession. We're longing for a recession because for the last nine months we've been in a depression. I'm going to use the word just to make myself abundantly clear.
5: Yeah, no, no. I mean, you make a great point. I mean, uh, I'm painting with a very broad brush across the entire economy, across all 130 million American households. So yeah, I mean, low-income households are getting crushed here. And for them, this is a depression. But you know, for the overall economy, all 130 million American households, it's not. Uh, you know, a recession is a broad-based persistent decline in economic activity. Broad-based means lots of industries, not just housing. Not just manufacturing, but a lot of industries. And persistent means over a long period of time. And the tell is is employment, jobs, unemployment. Uh, that's not consistent with the idea that we're in recession, or even that we're even close to going into recession. I mean, at this point, we're creating a boatload of jobs, and certainly enough to absorb the labor force, uh, the growth in the labor force, and keep unemployment low. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's histrionic to call this the 1929 or 1930. Yeah, there, certainly, uh, there are a lot of folks. Uh, that are struggling here, no doubt about it. Uh, and uh, not to uh, to uh, make uh, light of that, but in aggregate, the economy is, is, is growing. It's not in recession.
1: Mark, um, we're just about out of time, but I was just wondering how you think about the reopening of China in terms of how it has taken place um, and how you see it. Because on the one hand, you can say, well, economic activity will, in fact, pick up and that will be inflationary. Or that the way it's reopened and the way it's been handled is going to cause supply chain issues. And that is too inflationary.
5: Yeah, you're right. That's a, that's a, you could cut that in two different directions. My, my sense is that right now a soft Chinese economy is probably not such a bad thing for uh, the U.S. economy. It's keeping oil prices, commodity prices down. And the most significant threat to the economy, the thing that would throw us into recession, is if oil prices spike again. If we go from, you know, $3 for a gallon of regular and leaded, which is right where we are today, back up to five, which was the record high back in June, we're done. We are going into recession. That would be, those, those, those um, lower low American, uh, low-income American households, they, they would be mm-hmm. completely hammered. They pull back in and we go into recession. So I, in my view, that's the most significant thing, uh, certainly at this point in time.
1: All right. Mark, thanks. Mark Zandi. Of moody's analytics uh, grasso you know interesting because you know last time we talked to paul sankey he was forecasting oil to go to 120 next year which would probably mean five dollars a gallon
4: yeah you know and and oil is definitely in a trading range and we've seen that lower end of that range uh be right around 70 dollars. the upper end is is 130 dollars. I, I just think that we're not going to break out of that range anytime soon i don't know if we'll break 100 to the upside but if you look at China demand, if they're looking for another, if they're going to add another million barrels per day as far as demand, that usually equates to a $10 to $12 price in oil. So you look at where we are in oil, let's call it mid-70s. So let's, let's just say that will be 90, 95, and that big bubble is 100 in oil
1: coming up more on energy crude prices we've seen them drop as china COVID concerns deepen. what impact will this have on big oil we'll drill down on that trade next and later the party stopping on TikTok as the band grows how should you be playing the social stocks here the trades and much more when fast money returns
4: hi i'm ben rizzuto wealth strategist at janice henderson investors is a brighter future possible At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com.
6: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil dropping on concerns that a surge in COVID-19 cases in China, the world's top oil importer, will weigh on energy demand. The move taking a toll on energy stocks, which were the worst performers in the S&P today. EQT, APA, Katerra Energy, all seeing losses deeper than the broader markets. Um, Guy, your, your take on this sell-off.
2: Yeah, I understand it. I get it. People have a hair trigger now in terms of energy stocks. They see what's going on in the broader market. They don't want to get caught up in a commodity. Both Steve and Dan have pointed out the fact for months now that crude was headed lower, and that's been right. What I find interesting, again, I'm not suggesting I'm right, these stocks have held in there. I mean, Exxon closed at 108. The all-time high was recently 114. OIH still flirting with 300. Big top, big double top in XLE, an eight-year double top, but that hangs in there so I would push back and say, if crude oil can just sustain these levels, I think energy stocks are okay here, and I think energy stocks would be okay in 2023.
1: Yeah, meantime, one options trader is betting more than a million dollars. There's more pain to come for the energy space in the new year. Um, Dan, what'd you see?
3: Yeah, so this is in the XLE, uh, Mel, and Guy just mentioned Exxon. Exxon and Chevron make up, you know, more than, I think, 40% of the weight of this ETF here. And put volume was one and a half times average daily volume with puts outnumbering calls of three to one or so, there was a large trade way out of the money. Looking out to March expiration when the the ETF was trading about 86 today, there was a buyer of 30,000 in the March 65, 55 put spreads paying about 55 cents for that. That breaks even, Mel. All the way down at 54.55. That's down about 35%. If you look at a one year chart, you see, well, that's where the XLE started the year here. So, again, this is not like some aggressive, you know, bearish trade. That would be something that would be closer to the money in the XLE. This looks like a sort of disaster hedge um, for somebody who's maybe long a basket of these stocks or the XLE looking to stop themselves at the 52 week lows.
1: Yeah, Grasso, what's your take on XLE, but more specifically, the integrateds, which is the biggest component, biggest components of the XLE?
4: Yeah, so, so Guy, uh, you know, framed out uh, ExxonMobil and Chevron and the double tops and, and what we have. Exxon, it took seven years to make a new high, so that to me is bearish by its nature. But looking at them on a chart, they all came in, both of those names came in, the large integrated names came in. For the last two years, we've seen energy outperform. And the disconnect is the commodity came in, the equities went up. I think this year you see the commodity go higher, the equities fall, judging on the charts.
1: All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
0: The clock's ticking on TikTok, but even as calls for a ban grow louder, Meta can't seem to get a win. What it means that even Instagram can't reel in the gains. Plus, who has two thumbs and knows how to use them? The Chartmaster. Carter's here to give his thumbs up or down on the traders' picks for stocks. They're so bad, they actually look good. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGM, a leading global asset manager.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Another blow for TikTok, the China-based app now banned on official devices managed by the U.S. House of Representatives. The rule applies to all House lawmakers and staff and follows similar moves from several state legislatures. But the latest setback isn't providing a boost to Meta. The parent company of TikTok rival Instagram. That stock is down another percent today, bringing its losses for the year to more than 66%. I thought that if TikTok was going to go away, that's going to be all good for, for Facebook, I should say Meta, um, and its properties, Dan. That was, you know, a tenet of the both thesis. Is just Is it because it hasn't been completely banned, it hasn't been obliterated, that it's only yeah. on the road to being banned right now?
3: Well, Mel, talk to some teenage girls and, and, and figure out. I mean, you know, when Congress doesn't get to, to watch their TikTok on their government issued device, that's one thing. But when it happens to, um, you know, a different subset of our population, that's going to be a whole other story. I have two teenage girls. I can tell you it's going to feel like Jan 6 in my household that day. Um, but I'll just say this I mean, you know, the pillar of the bull story really doesn't have anything to do with TikTok, it has TikTok moderating, I guess, some of the market share gains or or the the time that, you know, people are spending on apps, like having that go down. And then Meta, Facebook, figuring out basically how to better monetize some of the properties that they do have, right? And I mean, that's really the story. Now, when I think about 2023 earnings, you know, they're expected to be down year over year, about 13%. That's after they were down nearly 35% this year with sales about, you know, Flat ish or something or growing at low single digits. The stock trades up 15 times. So you know it's down about 60 some percent on the year. But here's the issue: it's up about 35% or so from the lows that it made a couple of months ago. So I think right now it's kind of discounting the potential for the rhetoric heating up about TikTok. I do think, and I know guy has said this, that you know, you'd see up 10% in a flash if it was banned, but what's banned mean? Does it mean a forced sale? We've already been through that. It's gonna take a long time. Is it gonna be this sort of thing that they can actually just mysteriously take off your iPhone? Um, No, so it's gonna take a long time here. I think it's really for Facebook and Meta, this is really about what is their next 10 years gonna be? And I think at some point in 2023, it's gonna be less about what happens to TikTok and more what they choose to kind of spend their money on. And and really, you know, because, uh, Again, this is not this is not going to be the sort of thing that it's going to be settled in 2023. You're going to be buying Facebook off of what are expectations for 2024, in my opinion, next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, this seems like it's sort of a cloud, you know, like possible regulation, like that's always been sort of a cloud, but nothing really ever happens in terms of a de- decisive stock move higher or lower based on that sort of fear guy. But I guess the existential question is what what the heck is Meta, and is this bet on the metaverse? Is that the right way to go at this point? Is that what investors want here? Dan had mentioned 15 times. No, clearly. Yeah. Is that worth it here?
2: Yeah, clearly investors did not want that because effectively when they did make that pivot, that's when things really started to go pear-shaped for the stock. And I think to a certain extent, this uh, 30% rally, I guess, since that $88 low, is somewhat precedented on the fact that they've seemed to ratchet it back in terms of spending at Facebook a little bit. But Dan's right. It's about, do you believe in the vision in the next five to 10 years in the company? My point, and now clearly incorrect, you know, I thought a ban of TikTok, the knee jerk would be 20% potentially in a day or two for Facebook. And you mentioned it. It's not really moving on this. Now, maybe it needs to be more severe in terms of TikTok. I don't know what that looks like. But then the ancillary commentary should be, understanding that China banned some of our uh, technology and companies. What are the Chinese going to do if we do that? You know, what's the tip for tat on the back of something like that? So a lot of things left to be decided. I'll say this. I still think a a name like Snap with those headlines goes from $8 to $15 in a heartbeat, and it's still down significantly from its all-time high. So these are just, to me, you try to get these trading theses out. You're trying to get the tail risk or 25 30% probability of these things happening and try to game it out from that.
1: Well, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. The tit for tat for banning TikTok <laughs> that's a mouthful. Could be some severe ban uh, some of some you know maybe maybe Apple comes to mind, something about its app store Steve Grosso.
4: Yeah, I, I I agree with that. There'll be some type of tit for tat, but the I think the real issue that we're dealing with right now is that large cap tech stocks can't get out of their own way. So Guy uh, could be right, Dan could be right. If, the, if, if there was a ban on TikTok, you could see these other stocks specifically, I think Snap would, would just bolster higher immediately. That, that thing would have a rocket tied to it. But we still have to deal with the headwinds of the overall market sell-off. So if the overall market sell-off is still happening and it's happening because they're hitting large cap growth Uh, tech stocks or they're hitting growth stocks, then it doesn't matter what ruling happens uh, on TikTok, you have to get out of the weeds a little bit. And to your point, no one knows what the metaverse is yet. That's why we're hearing ideas about splitting the stock into, into two, keeping one as the metaverse, one as everything else, the core. That would really lift the stock, in my opinion, but also we have to wait until the smoke clears. So it doesn't matter what happens with TikTok uh, it, until we get out of this headwind growth, sell everything growth, rising rate environment, then nothing matters for these names.
1: Coming up with 2023, just around the corner, we're playing a new year's, new year's version of Would You Rather. This is the ultimate one. Apple versus Tesla, that's on deck. Stick around to find out what name our desk expects to outperform. Plus. It was a long December for retailers. Is a rebound ahead for the struggling consumer stocks? Get in or going shopping for your portfolio ahead?
0: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. another check on the markets today. Stocks taking it on the chin, the Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ closing around lows of the day. The Dow tumbling almost 366 points, energy leading the way lower, the biggest laggard in the S&P falling more than 2%. Southwest among the worst individual performers, dropping more than 5%. Shares of the airline getting crushed for a second day after massive weather-related cancellations over the holiday weekend. The stock is now down nearly 11% this week. And a couple of mega cap movers we've been watching closely. Apple dropping another 3% today, it's ninth day of losses in the last 10 trading sessions. While Tesla managed to snap a seven day losing streak with a gain of more than 3%, Elon Musk reportedly telling employees to quote, not be bothered by the stock market craziness. And that he believes that in the long term, Tesla will be the most valuable company on earth. Both stocks have been crushed this year, losing more than one and a half trillion dollars in market cap since January. So as we head into the new year, we thought this would be the perfect time for a round of would you rather Apple versus Tesla? I'll start it off with you, Guy.
2: Look, in this game, now that Apple's basically trading at a market multiple, you know, if you think $7 next year, 18 multiple, you're right there. And at least it's reasonable on valuation. You know there's probably some light at the end of the tunnel for as innovative a company as Apple is. So my answer is absolutely Apple. I mean, Danny Moses came on the show a couple weeks ago, talked about Tesla getting to be a better short the lower it went, and that's proving to be somewhat prescient. In this game, it's Apple by a landslide, I think, Melms.
1: Um, I get the multiple uh, thesis, but some could argue that Tesla's valuation right now looks cheap at about 27 times forward. Steve Grasso, what would you say?
4: Yeah, so I looked at it as the risk reward and I own Apple. I don't own Tesla yet. I'm, I'm thinking about buying it, but it, I, I'd like to see it around a uh, $100 level or so. Um, I think for the would you rather, I would go with Tesla. If you look at Tesla versus Apple on a growth scale, Tesla has to win out on all fronts. And, and the, as I said, the risk reward, if he does anything with battery power, it doesn't have to just be for the car. It could be for anything. It could be non-automotive. He, he has a number of levers that he can pull. And if he says next year that he's, not, he's done selling the stock, I don't know how much of a weight that was alone, the fact that he would be a seller to fund the Twitter acquisition. So I think for, on all fronts, as far as growth, I would go with Tesla.
1: It seems like a, a lot of what is bogging Tesla down, and there are you know, obviously a lot of different issues, ditto for, for Apple, by the way, but in terms of the impact of, of a prolonged Shanghai shutdown, that, ev- that eventually goes through. Um, you know, we see through that because it goes away. Uh, as as COVID gets better in, in China, Dan, I mean things could get better. I mean interest rates. We'll talk. Okay, not for Tesla. I'm not Tesla. even going mean, to bother. I don't know. If, like, I don't know why I even try but, with on.
3: you. <laughs> this, this is important. This is important, Mel. I mean, think about this. Tesla has less than ten percent market share in EVs in China. There there's so many local manufacturers that have you know just much better like you know footing there. So to me, I, I don't even think it's like that big of a growth engine. For them and so much of the like so much of the valuation for Tesla is tied up with that so you know Elon's telling the employees not to worry about the stock market craziness. this is the biggest crash the biggest single stock crash in the history of the stock market in a month or two I mean I'm just telling you so things like this just don't come back I, it's just not gonna happen I think and I've been saying this for a while I think there's a good chance that he's not gonna be the CEO by the end of next year and I think that this company starts to be valued just as a car company you know as a company it's going to have slowing growth. and Maybe they won't have the craziness that exists with the CEO right now, um, but maybe that's a good thing in the long term. But to me, I, I wouldn't buy Tesla. I think that it probably is going to rally at some point pretty soon, pretty sharply. And I think it's going to be a great short at that point. I think it probably finds itself somewhere back in, I don't know, man, like maybe it round trips the entire bit to the pre-pandemic highs or so. So um, I'm, I'm Apple here. I'd like to buy Apple probably closer towards 110 in the next couple of months.
1: All right, coming up. New year, new consumer. Recession fears aside, which retailers are best positioned to capture the most resolute shoppers in 2023? We'll find out then. So bad it's, well, what exactly is it? One of our traders says this entertainment stock is ready to turn the corner. But does the chart master agree he will join us when Fast Money returns?
0: Ring in the new year by joining CNBC Pro. Invest like a pro in 2023 with a special year-end offer. Go to CNBC.com slash Pro New Year or scan this code now.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. The holiday shopping season may be behind us, but the real test for retail could be still to come. Shoppers heading back to stores in January for returns, exchanges, and with gift cards in hand. For more on this make it or break it month, let's bring in CNBC.com's Melissa Repco for a look at this month. We all know that January is a time when you go back to the store and you may purchase something else while you're exchanging the size of your slippers and and so on. But it feels a little bit different because you layer on the dynamic, Melissa, of of a lot of these retailers having loads of inventory going into this holiday shopping season and still needing to, to get rid of it.
7: Exactly, Melissa. It's a higher stakes dynamic this year because a lot of retailers have to prove that they're not going to exit the fiscal year with the same problem that's plagued many of them, which is just a lot of extra stuff and stuff that people don't want. So in the weeks ahead, we're going to see more urgency to get rid of that stuff and start 2023 in a cleaner position. So that's why these final weeks are really important. And we may see deeper discounts, especially from some of those more distressed retailers that just want to get rid of that stuff and not let it continue to haunt them.
1: In terms of what the analysts saying that you speak to, Melissa, who are they saying is most at risk. I mean, where are we going to basically find the best deals, the biggest markdowns, because they just got to move the stuff?
7: You know, Target has been one that's been gradually working through its excess inventory. It was one of the first ones to warn that was having trouble, and it has worked through that. But... Now, the question is, they did build up a lot of inventory again for the holiday season. Did they sell it? Lululemon, which has generally been a strongly performing company, reported that its inventory was up 85% year-over-year recently. And of course, that did cause a sell-off for that company, a little bit of a concern about whether it can meet that high holiday demand and sell through all those workout clothes or if they're gonna wind up more on the clearance rack and if it'll really have the pricing power. On the other hand, we heard from Walmart CEO, Doug McMillan, that actually price sensitive customers could benefit the company. And it could be seeing customers come in for lower cost groceries and other items in late December and in January, as people kind of start paying off their their gifts and start feeling the pressure from that holiday spending spree. Yeah,
1: you feel a little bit different, a little less rich when you get that bill. (laughs) Melissa, thank you. Melissa Repko. Uh, Dan, your favorite retailer.
3: You know, it's interesting, Mel. Uh, You you look at like a TJ Maxx and and it's trading very near its 52-week highs. It's had a really nice run into the holiday season. And and I think that there's some of these discounters that are probably going to do well in the consumer environment that we're headed for um, in 2023. I think some of the ones that have been heavily discounting, you know, for the better part of the last couple of months Um, dealing with high inventories, they're going to have a tougher time here. So I actually think 2023 is going to be, and Tim's made this point, um, you know, before the pandemic, we're calling for the end of some of these department stores. So I I do think it's going to become a good time to be a stock picker in the retail space. Look at what Nike did on their front just a couple months or a couple weeks ago. None of us thought they would be able to do that well um, in their own retail uh, stores.
1: Yeah, it really seems like it's going to be, you know, to Melissa's point, truly make it or break it for some of the retailers that have been having trouble so much. If they if they emerge with a lot of inventory, Guy, I mean, I don't know how they get rid of it when you're in the depths of of February.
2: (laughs) No question. I mean, Lululemon said that 84. I mean, I'm paraphrasing again, but the 84 percent year over year increase in inventory was somewhat Planned, you know, I would push back and say there's no way that was planned. And the stock is paying for it now because valuations matter and margins are going to contract. And you're seeing it in the stock. But Costco, which by the way is significantly lower than its all time high, a stock that you really had trouble with on valuation very quietly now is getting to levels where you can almost justify it at 27 times next year's numbers. That 430 low or so from May sticks out. I think there's a chance we trade down there. And if you can get Costco, you know, 425 to 430, I think that's a great trading opportunity.
1: Coming up so bad, it's horrendous. We'll ask the chart master if there is any hope of a recharge for this electric automaker. Plus, he'll do the same for two more of our traders' picks. Fast money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets, closing in on their worst year since the financial crisis with 30 stocks in the S&P down 50 percent or more. But are any of these beaten down names worth a look in the new year? Let's find out with a game of so bad it's blank. We're going to let the traders pick their favorites. We're bringing the chart master Carter Worth in on the fast line to tell us if he agrees. Okay, first up, Grasso, which stock do you think is prime for a turnaround?
4: Disney, so I've said this on a technical basis, and Carter could comment on this. This is at pandemic lows. Now, I understand the headwinds going into recession. I understand all the headwinds uh, around Disney, but you can't tell me that it's gonna be under the same pressure that it was at during the pandemic low, that's number one. Number two, parks are going to be around that $28 billion number, as far as their uh, contribution to revenue. I think that probably goes higher. That is substantive, coming from $16 billion pretty recently. Uh, number three, if you look at Bob Iger coming back, this is an extreme operator on Wall Street. This made me bullish on the name. I don't think that, that the name has acted uh, in kind to that yet. And then plus, they're going to have a number of blockbusters coming out with China uh, opening up again. That's going to be a huge source of revenue for them as well. Disney.
1: All right. Carter, is Steve Grosso right?
8: I'm in the thumbs down category, but he brings up the points that are important. It's almost at the 10 low. It was $79 on March 18th of 2020. It's at 84 now. Um, interestingly, it has not acted well since Iger came on. In fact, it's continued to deteriorate absolute and relative to the S&P. My hunch is that we kiss the March 18th, 2020 low. We get down sub-80. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, Dan, you're up next. You're going to win the thumbs up of the chart master. What stock? All right.
3: This is Rivian. This is a, obviously an EV maker here. Went public the year before last, late in 2021, down 85 uh, percent from its all time highs. Here's the thing. It's got like a $16 billion market cap. It's got $13 billion in cash, less than $2 billion in debt. They're expected to lose $10 billion over the next two years, people. But they have all that cash. I expect some point early next year a massive rally in this thing because it's got a five billion dollar enterprise
1: value carter your take on rivian (laughs) well i'm a
8: thumbs down Uh, it's a one-way train for now the interesting thing it bottomed early in may at 19 and it's been doing so well but to undercut its may low is a problem
1: okay so just to recap so far in case you're just tuning in carter's given a thumbs down so bad it's bad to both Disney as well as Rivian. The next contestant up is Guy Dami. Which stock are you saying it's so bad it's good?
2: I'm laughing because Brian Kelly just texted me and made front of Dan's room. Uh, Amazon, <laughs> Mel, you're talking about a stock that's now at a three-year low. Um, everything. I mean, you think about it, it's lost a trillion dollars in market cap, which is astonishing if you think about it. But along the way, a name now that's trading a multi-year low, you've seen some mind-numbing rallies Saw a 50% rally in this stock, I think, earlier this year. So we're at levels where we should hold. We're going to get into earnings within the next three or four weeks. And I think the setup's going to be really good. So Amazon is so bad, it looks good to me, Melms.
1: Carter, do you agree? <laughs> no, I'm a thumbs down. I, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's,
8: they're just, we're making new Thanks for coming dollars. in.
1: Thanks for coming in today, <laughs> yeah, Carter.
8: Thanks, thanks for playing. I would go with Meta as a so bad, it's good.
1: Oh, meta. You like meta. What? What is it? How does the chart look? To, I well, mean, it's so bad. It's well, what's good about it. It,
8: it. Here's what's good about it. It's been going straight up for the past three, five, right. six weeks. as Everything else has been going down.
1: All right. I like it when Carter just laughs at you guys. <laughs> it's really refreshing. Uh, <laughs> not Carter right, Raxon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and Dan's room, by the way, seems very placid, which is doesn't really match his personality, but that's that's my take a on it. A very a lovely hotel. room. It's a, it's lovely looking. Up next, final trades. It's time for the final trade with our trio of traders tonight. Let's go around the horn, Steve Grasso. I'm going to
4: go with iShares India ETF, I-N-D-A. They're adding $1 trillion to GDP every year to year and a half.
1: India ETF. Dan Nathan.
3: Yeah, you know what? Carter didn't like Guy's call. I like Amazon here. I think, you know, under eighty, is start dollar cost average averaging this one Amazon.
2: Guy. Melms, a tremendous job this morning. Will you be back tomorrow morning in the 6 in- to 9 a.m. Squawk oh. Box show? You bet. I will be there. It's it's amazing. Yeoman's work. I don't know how to spell it. I don't know what one is, but you are exactly
1: that. Amgen's given a lot lot back since this Horizon Therapeutics deal, AMGN. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. I'll see you tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Taking stock 2023 with Brian Sullivan starts right now.